Hey, it's Marcus. And this is Alec. And this is a fantastic Strategize podcast. And I know what some of you are thinking, that I said I was going to start this podcast off somehow, but I totally forgot because it's been so long. But what are we talking about today? We are talking about understanding constraints. Wow, I'm going to mess up the intro already. Uh, We're going to talk about knowing the situation you're in and knowing whether or not the assumptions you have the rules that you're following are actually necessary to put between you and your goal so i pulled up just to give us a starting point constraint on marion webster dictionary did you know that it actually tells you how popular the word is hmm i know constraint is that yeah yeah i know sorry i just like in here but it's in the top 10 percent of words you're kinky nation america (laughs) But constraints, basically, the simple definition is something that limits or restricts something. Pretty broad. I think, uh, for the most part, we're going to be talking about like rules of a game, um, obstacles, uh, opponents, or even like the physical constraints, like the actual physics of uh, the games that we're playing or the situation, strategic situations that we're in. Um, do you have a situation for an example of constraints? Sure, yeah. I mean, the basic idea of games is that they're inefficient situations. So, like, basically, to play a game, you have to have some sort of either self-imposed constraint or um, an understanding of what you're trying to accomplish is um, unnecessarily constraining. So, like, if you're going to play golf, the easiest way to get the ball in the hole is to just walk up to the hole and put the ball in the hole. But since you're playing the game of golf, you have all these... um, rules that you follow in order to make the game um, whether that be interesting competitive there's a bunch of different reasons to put those constraints on yourself but the main idea is that the game is efficient so you put more and more rules in between you and your goal so that making or achieving that goal is interesting to the player yeah and it doesn't even have to be imposed constraints like, if the goal is just to put the ball in the hole, then, like, even the field can be constraints. So, like, they put sand traps in fields, um, like, putting rough, the shape of the fairway, like, all of these things can be constrained to simply putting the ball in the hole. Yeah, and they all kind of build off of that idea that getting the ball in the hole is interesting. Like, for another example, um, basketball. Why put a hoop 10 feet off the ground if your goal is to put the ball in the hole? Well, that's to make it so that the physical constraints actually come into play. Like, if the hole was on the ground in basketball, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting, I think. You'd call it soccer. Probably soccer or (laughs) (laughs) croquet or bowling. Also, constraints are kind of characteristic, or the rules of a game are characteristic of that game. Uh, You start changing the constraints you put on yourself, you get a different game, which is kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, but I want to really, like, dive into what it... These are all situations about why there are constraints. I want to talk about, like, what a constraint actually is. Because I don't really feel like all constraints are the same. I think some are, like, actual, real, tangible constraints. Like, for me, I'm a... (laughs) I can't dunk using basketball. So, like, that is a fit... Like, a real, tangible constraint. Like, I can't do that. So, I have to, like, think Mm -hmm. about other ways to put the ball in the hole. Yeah, and I, I think to a certain extent it's um it's a constraint that you can't overcome um and it's basically the situation that you're in you have to take that into account that's understanding like 
that constraint isn't going anywhere. But I think there's also, particularly with your example, something to be said for like long-term understanding of the constraint. Like, could you develop the skill? Like if you, you know, worked on jumping a lot and developed the muscles required to do that, you could eventually get to being able to dunk. Or if they developed better technology for shoes or for, you know, Flubber style? Yeah. <laughs> or werewolf and uh, American werewolf? What is that? Teen I wolf? I Teen don't wolf. Know. There we go. You got, got it. it. Yeah, so understanding that that constraint may be fluid, that it's not necessarily perfectly restricted. The um, kind of basis for a lot of field games is that gravity is involved. And as far as we know, gravity is not going to change. Um, in a significant way so we can usually count on that being a constraint so you're not going to play you know you don't have to change the game of basketball to account for there not being gravity unless you play it in space which would be kind of interesting but i would recommend other games true so like gravity in that situation works but then i mean are there things that are always constraints do you have a decent example no okay (laughs) no i mean no yeah i think there's a certain amount of um subjectivity that goes into uh, determining the constraints for a game. Uh, I think this is where you get into the kind of weird situations that come up um, in different sports. Like you see trick plays happening, and they usually happen because they're counting on the other team not understanding fully what the team is capable of. So, like if you do a trick play in football, like um, people may not know that. Um, the quarterback doesn't have to receive the ball from the center. It's usually the case that the quarterback does that, and that happens every single time, so the defense kind of assumes that that's a constraint that's in place, but if they get complacent enough, the team just snaps the ball, the quarterback touches it, which I believe is the rule that has to happen, but then the center can run with the ball. So if nobody expects the center to have the ball, then they can accomplish something yeah i think my favorite example of someone sitting back and manipulating not even manipulating constraints but realizing and classifying constraints and ones that are accepted constraints that we hold ourselves to that um we agree to agree upon in the realm versus ones that are like actually hard constraints like bill belichick of the patriots is notorious for like pushing the limits of constraints Mm -hmm. like having last season he had one of his wide receivers throw a pass pretty sure for a touchdown but like that's not that's changing what or playing to what is socially constraining versus what's actually constraining yeah like there's nothing on the books that says a receiver can't throw the ball they're under the same restriction as a quarterback but you just don't see it mostly because like the skill level isn't there like you'd much rather have your quarterback do it but there's nothing saying he can't right so i think i think emotion is an important part to to touch on for this for under understanding constraints because like a lot of people assume that um, good sportsmanship is required like socially required but there are things that you can do in the game and not even particularly bad mannered but they can definitely grate on your opponent and they're good strategies to employ if you're trying to throw your opponent off their game so understanding the the constraints of like sportsmanship of integrity for the game are just social norms and not requirements for playing the game 
I think about someone in football like talking shit about another player's sister. <laughs> you know, like it's not the most sportsman-like thing you can do, but I mean, you're going to be avoiding like social constraints because no one's going to know that you're doing it except the people involved. Yeah. And, like you know, it could be a good strategy to rattle the other person. Yeah, and uh, I think. I may have done this when I first initially said it. I constrained the idea to negative emotions, but you can also have like positive emotions. Like if you make your opponent complacent by, you know, chatting with them at first base, you know, you're talking with a guy when he's leading off and you like chat him up, getting him to think about what he's talking about instead of paying attention to the pitcher and you know the pickoff's coming. That's not that's not even particularly unsportsmanlike, but it's not, you know, it's not built into the rules of the game to say that that's um, for or against the rules. Yeah, I almost think, too, like, I know that there's, like, a lot of cafeterias where, you know, the norm is to, like, go get your food and then sit down. But that's, like, a social constraint is, like, keeping to yourself. But at the same time, like, if you wanted to go into the cafeteria, buy a food, and, like, go strike up a conversation with someone, like, what was a constraint um, for you is no longer a constraint. But my oh, question, sure. my question is like, how do you like grade? But how do you classify a constraint? I think that's a big part of like being good at strategy. That it's not like cut and dry. There's a particular art to understanding, like what what is actually constraining you. Um, well, you say of... like good at strategy, like good at strategy. But this is a strategized podcast. We're here to make people good at strategy. For sure, yeah. No, and I mean, that's that's the skill to develop, and I think it comes with a lot of analysis of situations or being in the situations that make you um, stretch in those particular ways. Like, I've heard a lot of examples, and the one that comes to mind now of, or excuse me, there's a lot of examples of generals being put into this situation where they have to be creative about how they're um, thinking about their constraints, and the example I think of is Hannibal where he crossed the mountains where nobody expected an army to be able to cross, at least not to survive the trip. So it was a constraint that the Romans put on his army that they wouldn't be coming from that direction so they can force or focus their troops elsewhere. But they, he kind of figured out what the situation was. He understood his uh, capabilities and his army's capabilities. He understood what he needed to do to get them over the mountains and... Um, he understood that it was a constraint that the Romans were putting on him and not something that he needed to pay attention to that's or accept. Cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, are there other times where that's the case? Like, at, at, I guess I, the part that most interested me is, like, Hannibal sitting in his tent. And he's like, okay, let me list out my constraints. I don't know, because I'm thinking about, like, a smaller example of, like, when you get to try different things. Not, like, in a Hannibal situation or in war where you really kind of only get one shot and well one opportunity uh, <laughs> um, kind of get one chance to do something big and make a large tactical um, change but like when I'm playing Rocket League I've um, I play Rocket League is just time. like basically like soccer with cars right oh yeah it's awesome video game for yeah I wish you could play cars that way uh, in real life <laughs> But yeah, I've I played for a long time and got particularly well, I don't know about good, but you can say adept. I got, yeah, I got to a point where I was comfortable um, playing. Like I could, I felt like I could do everything that I needed to, but then realized that 
a constraint that was on me was actually the control setup I had. I physically could not press two of the buttons that I needed to at the same time because of where their buttons were located. That was something that other people had figured out, like, no, you need to put this button somewhere else. So I figured out the best layout. I started playing that and I had to basically start all over. It was a faster learning curve, but it was definitely something I had to go through to get better. So it's not like understanding constraints, um, understanding that a change needs to be made or understanding that uh, there's nothing you can do to change the situation in that way, I think mostly comes from the experience and kind of taking a look at it. I mean, do you suggest getting to the end? Like for you, it sounded like it was more of a process. Like I'm going to push this line of like playing the game house, playing as far as it can go before looking at or thinking about the possible constraints that were there initially. Um, I think there are different styles to go about it. Like, I would much rather start out with a eloquent but difficult, elegant, excuse me, elegant but difficult style and develop it over a long period of time instead of, like, maybe what works immediately. I'm trying to think of a way to say it. I think it's a lot to do with the mentality and the style, and there's not necessarily a right way to do it. But I know that, like, even our approaches to situations are different, and so we may come up with completely different constraints that we put on ourselves because of the ideas we have um, already about the situation. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think that's exactly what I was talking about. Because I think, like, for me, when I'm cycling through and trying to find constraints, I'm, I almost feel like I'm more, well, I don't know. It kind of depends on what's going on. But it, I, I always feel like I'm always thinking about in the context of whatever my goal is. Like, what's my goal? What's stopping me from getting to my goal? Like, what are the constraints involved? Mm -hmm. An example I'm thinking of now is, like, even our approaches to that, where we played against, I'm just going to say, our dads for simplicity in um, pool. I think my approach to the game was just to do the best that I can um, at the game of pool against opponents that are better than us. Um, And your approach to the game was to use the um like to give up any hope of being good at pool and just approach the game as um stopping the opponents from being good at the game so like we approached it in different ways and i think uh i don't know i think we lost but (laughs) the approach was uh, it was pretty close yeah it was close and i think given that we kind of knew that their approach was going to be similar to my approach, that your strategy really worked against them. And if I had been on board with that earlier in the game, we might have won. But like, those are the different approaches to it. Not necessarily, like, if we had both played the way you were playing, it might just have taken longer for us to lose, but we still would have lost. Or if we could have changed something ahead of time, uh, either leaned more in one direction or the other, then we could have won. True, and that's if the goal... Well, I don't know if we could have won, but it would maybe. But I think that's that's a fair point. Because I think there's a difference in what the, our goals were initially that made the constraints different. I feel like if our goals were aligned... Like, if it was... If the, if the goal is to have a skill versus skill competition and let the person with the best skill win, like, that's one goal. Or if it's 
I just want to win. That's a separate goal. And I think for me, I was actually reading an article about a guy um, who was applying for jobs. He quit his job. He moved to Silicon Valley. Um, he actually moved to San Francisco and was applying for jobs in Silicon Valley. And he could never get his resume to the person that he wanted to get it to. Like he wasn't good enough to get out of the re- giant resume pool of whatever was going on. So he had to come up with a way to get his resume in front of those who need it. So he pretended to be a delivery person with a delivery of donuts. Um, Postmates, shout out. Awesome. So he was, a, he was a Postmate delivery and he... He was like, hey, I have a delivery for this person. They ordered these donuts um, from like a really nice pastry place in San Francisco. And when they opened it inside the box were the donuts, of course, but then were the pastries. But it was also his resume. And he said, hey, like most resumes, end up in trash. At least mine will end up in your stomach. And then I have his resume. Nice. And so with that, he had a giant success. I think it was like 50% of the folks that he applied or places he applied to got back to him and set up interviews. Nice. So I think if it depending on what I know, right? Depending on what the goal is really defines the tactic. Like if you in his situation, like if he wanted to, you know, just get in on merit alone, like he wasn't obviously going to be successful. So he had to come up with a way to be like, Hey, how do I get my resume in front of who it needs to get in front of? Yeah. And I think I'm very proud of us to this point to have not said thinking outside the box. Cause I think it's just a dumb analogy, but um, I think that's kind of what we're getting at is, not just looking at the possibilities um, that you've observed or that have been given to you, but really taking a full view of the situation and taking advantage of advantages of those angles that haven't been looked at yet. Yeah, and I think taking advantage of those angles, really knowing like where those angles are, or like what's what are the constraints that those angles will let you get around. Because it's not like really knowing where all the constraints are. You're never going to know like what angles to use. So I think identifying those constraints is like a really good first step. Um, Looking at all the constraints is a really good first step in that. Yeah. And uh, going back a little bit to like the idea of winning and like what constraints should be on you if all you're trying to do is win in isolation from whatever game you're trying to play. That's where I kind of go back to the the beginning and like if games are just set up to be that inefficient system why play the game in order to win the game um if you're understanding your constraints to be that the rules of the game are going to be in in your way to accomplish the goal like why go through the game to get to the goal of winning well right exactly maybe that's the whole i mean uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's like, you know, the whole point of, well, it depends, because I was about to be like, it's the whole point of life, but <laughs> I think, you know, like, it's not necessarily about the destination, it's it's partly about the journey, but I almost want to say, like, it we shouldn't even talk about winning or losing, we should really be talking about accomplishing the goal or not, and so, like, why I think people really enjoy games is because the goal there isn't to you know if it's monopoly the goal really isn't to get all the money you know because like i could punch someone in the face and take all the money and that accomplish my goal like Mm -hmm. the goal is to through the constraints be the winner like be the champion collect all the money so like without the constraints oh and i think the most important part is to enjoy it Mm -hmm. like if your goal is to enjoy the constraints then like that's the goal because you can take all the constraints out of there and I think it's it kind of gives us like a good starting point 
to talk about like strategies for understanding the constraints. You know, everybody has a different style, but I think there's there's approaches that get you there, get you to you know common ground with what you're trying to accomplish or people who have accomplished that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one that comes to mind is the idea. I don't. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, an 80-20 analysis. So, but I'm sure not everyone okay. is. So the idea is that you're trying to figure out where most of your success comes from and where most of your failure comes from and trying to you know promote your strengths and eliminate your weaknesses. So if you, um, I don't know, let's say you have 100 customers that you deal with on a regular basis, if you do an analysis of the money you're bringing in from those customers and you find out that um, almost all of those customers are very small percentages ultimately to the bottom line, but you find out, you know, five or ten of those customers are 50% of your uh, income or your bottom line, then you might readjust your strategy and change your assumptions about your customers to, you know, bolster your interactions with those top clients and either get rid of or deal with in a different way those um, customers that aren't producing as much for you. That's the example that I was, that I had it framed for me. So it's the one that makes the most sense to me but if you're going for like in rocket league i'm i've been playing a lot with i think people that are better than me and i'm trying to understand that i shouldn't challenge them at what they're way better than me at i should focus on what i'm good at and so i eliminate 80 percent of the game that they're better at me and just focus on the parts where i can mess with their game because i know i'm better in that small area so is the point to expand your 20 into your 80? Um, it's to try and eliminate the weak parts. Like, focus your efforts, essentially. So you're putting in 100% of the effort, but most of your uh, benefits come from 20% of your effort. So why distribute the rest of your effort over that other 80% and try and cram it into that 20% that really matters? Sure, that's fair. And that's one way of looking at it. I mean, you can also do, you know, different analyses, like a full inventory of your stock, depending on the situation. Like if you're at war and you understand that you have more supplies, you have more men, you have um, more people, and you have a systematic way of finding that out, you can use that to your advantage to readjust your, your overall strategy. Yeah, it's really interesting because I have, like, such a different perspective. Like, sometimes it's best to be an expert, and then sometimes it's best to be Bear grills and be, like, a jack-of-all-trades. <laughs> like, there are some people who are really, really good at starting fires. And then, and like, sometimes, yeah, sure, like, that's going to be useful. But it, sometimes it's going to be useful to have a little bit of knowledge of starting fires, but then also be able to know how to skin an animal, know how to clean water, know how to create like a little bit of knowledge everywhere else for me like when i'm thinking about constraints i'm not necessarily thinking about that 80 percent as a constraint or what the constraints are on that 80 percent i think when i'm thinking about constraints i'm thinking about what's gonna stop me from going growing like a hundred percent and then let me focus on ways to grow that aren't constrained the idea isn't that you're trying to just focus on what you're good at but you're trying to mitigate the self-imposed constraints that 
do focus on your weaknesses. Like, especially if you're not prepared to change or improve those weaknesses, like focusing your efforts on things that are already working instead of just spreading yourself to fill the space that you or maybe just others imagine you would be filling. I like that. I think there's also something to be said, and I know you're way better at it, so maybe you can talk more to it, but... Yeah, no promises. Um, like the idea of negotiating the constraints, like the actual act of negotiating with someone else about what the um, structure is going to be or what you what constraints you're supposed to be within. And I think that's another way to analyze or to understand what constraints you're a part of, especially taking the agency over what other people are considering those constraints to be. I know that any time that I have a goal, I always think about, like, what are the normal constraints surrounding them? And then, like, if I abandon everything, like, what is really... For me, I like to think about things, like, in the abstract. So, like, right now, about this conversation... Like, first things first, I was like, okay, I want to get to the end. So then, like, if, what's the fastest way? It's just a straight line. Like, get to the end. Mm-hmm. But then, like, okay, here are the constraints that are, like, in my way. So now I have to figure out, like, okay, do I have to, like, go make a left and then go right? Or can I go over but still on a straight line? So I think for me it's, like, figuring out – and I know we hate saying, like, think outside the box. But really it's, like, taking a wide view of whatever the problem is and really – framing that in what I think my weaknesses are and then what are my actual or like what are my actual constraints in this situation yeah so what I think what I think I'm thinking of is your ability to temper the outcome I know there's been a lot of times where in that same strategy where you're kind of playing off of your opponent's ability in the game and to a certain extent you don't end up playing the original game intended but because you've convinced this other person to play the game that you're playing you end up winning <laughs> yeah that's fair i mean the i always go back to the same example like every time but for monopoly like a very hardcore part of that game is the trading system and i'll find like the weakest link in whatever system that i'm in to be able to like manipulate the game in my advantage so in monopoly like my goal isn't to get every single like to start creating monopolies my goal is to make sure that no one else can create monopolies (laughs) just to like completely destroy like one of the tenants of the game so that way it's no longer about winning because it's going to take forever it's about not quitting first exhaustion attrition (laughs) yeah but that's for me and i don't even know if that's i think when you say negotiating the outcome i think it's looking it's almost like reverse like looking at my constraints and then choosing a goal not particularly the other way around yeah no and i think that's that's an important um distinction to make of like the approaches to understanding your constraints is like are you willing to change your goal to something more manageable within the constraints? Or are you, you know, what part of the equation are you actually dealing with when um, you're doing this analysis? Yeah, and I think so much times, like, in life, we always think about, I have to do this to do this. Um, or I have to complete these things to be able to go here. But there's often times where instead of thinking about just one side of the equation, 
really think about how you can manipulate both sides of the equation to make it make sense. Like thinking about the constraints and the goal and then fitting them into whatever you want. Yeah. Like we can go back to golf, for instance. For you, you, we've never played golf together. Well, have we played golf together? I don't think we've ever played golf together. I don't together. think so. Which is weird. I know. Now that I think about it. <clears throat> anyway, there's a nice golf course down here. You should come play. I mean, I but... work at a golf course, so. Oh, that's fair too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Still bad at golf. Yeah, me too. But I, I'm good at driving the golf cart. Oh, there you go. Like, you can hold yourself to the stand, like PGA standards, and that can be how you play golf. Um, but like, if I go out there and play, like, I don't want to hold myself to that standard because I'm not going to enjoy the game. So I'll change the goal. Like, if the goal for me is to, like, half play real golf and half enjoy myself, like, those are my physical constraints of being good at golf, or the impose constraints of not being able to mulligan or if I, my ball's behind a tree like I'll just move the ball because I want to enjoy the game 50% yeah so like changing the goal to fit the constraints but then also changing some of the constraints to fit the goal yeah and kind of the flow between the, the two I think um, I don't know if we've ever talked about on the show before but there's a idea in kind of I don't even know what to call it at this point games because game studies or um, game theory talks mostly about you know the economic type field of human interaction but I want it to mean referring specifically to games but in that realm there was a term called the the magic circle which is basically this um, imaginary um, space that you play your game inside of and it in no way affects the outside world which i don't think makes any sense but it does have some merit and some usefulness when you're talking about what constraints penetrate through the the magic circle either to the outside world or into the inside world so like the easy debunking of the idea of the magic circle is gambling like you play a game where money is on the line of course it's going to affect the world your world outside of the game but understanding kind of what what comes out of the magic circle to the real world understanding those constraints and what goes into the magic circle from the outside world you can get things like enjoyment crippling addiction crippling addiction yep i was gonna say enjoyment um (laughs) that's fair i was i was still in your gambling reference i was like because i was thinking to myself like what on the outside could affect something on the inside yeah and i think what games are usually used for especially for kids growing up is um, people see them as character building like you can develop uh, leadership styles or the ability to work as a team or um you know, sportsmanship. The for ability that's to worth. not wake daddy. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> what? The ability to catch to, to catch mice. Yeah. So, Thinking about all the games I played when I was a kid. Oh, okay. But yeah, so there's a lot of things that penetrate that magic circle, but that's the idea of, you know, a constraint is that you're putting this imaginary uh, space separate from the real world and following certain rules inside. Um, so when we play golf, not strictly by the rules of golf, we're using, you know, our physical constraints or our social 
understanding of the way that we're playing to manipulate those rules because we know that it's malleable. We know those constraints are malleable, but we can't necessarily take the you know rules of physics outside of the um, magic circle. Um, you know, you can't cause yourself to be able to jump ten feet when you go inside the circle. Things like that. Yeah, sorry, when you said jump 10 feet, I thought about, like, you know, like, the reason why Dungeons & Dragons is, like, so popular because you're blurring the lines between outside the magic circle and inside the magic circle in terms of physical and objective constraints. Yeah, and it's particularly interesting because basically everything in Dungeons & Dragons is negotiable. The dungeon master ultimately has the final say, but that's also malleable as well. Like, right? Like, if he hates you in real life, or you're <laughs> banging his girlfriend or boyfriend, <laughs> like that's for sure might leak into from the outside into the inside of the magic circle. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't necessarily feel like the magic circle is just like a line. So I don't feel like it's a binary state. But am I wrong? No, for like, sure. I think that it's definitely blurred. Let's go back to football. I don't know if we made a football uh, example. I guess you talked about Belichick, but the idea of the the quarterback being off limits to most most players. The quarterback, in terms of modern day football, is you know the essential part of the offense. Although you have some offenses that try and go around that, like the Wildcat offense, where you just put a running back back there and run as fast as you can to the sideline, but um, the quarterback is a really crucial piece to almost every team's offense. So there's this stigma against um, hitting the quarterback. Like They wear red shirts in practice, so nobody hits them. Once you get into the game, if you hit, some, hit a quarterback uh, after he's thrown the ball, even though he's playing football, he's technically playing the game of football just like everyone else, there's penalties involved in that. So we've kind of built up both um, socially and built into the game now um, this idea that they're not allowed to be hit. I'm not sure which came first, but it seems like uh, maybe the NFL just saw it as a problem or whoever was in charge of football rules at the time that if you know some D-end is, worth, uh, is willing to take the 15-yard penalty to take some quarterback's head off to basically ruin the t- uh, other team's offensive strategy... You can't really allow that. So they've, I don't know if they intentionally done this, but building up the social structure around that of like, it's really bad sportsmanship and it's really bad um, behavior to try and take that guy out and kind of blurred the line between what realm that belongs in, whether or not it's a social norm or whether or not the rules themselves are what are preventing people from trying to hit the quarterback on every play. I was thinking about... um the consequences of like if I if someone hit my quarterback I'd for sure hit the other team's quarterback oh yeah and perhaps that's another layer to it of the retaliation maybe if you didn't think the other team was like if you didn't think there was mutually mutually assured destruction um, behind taking out an essential player for the other team then that might be a strategy you know you take a third stringer and run them at the uh, quarterback, they might get thrown out of the game, suspended for a few games, but they might get a bonus from their team as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's against the rules. They wouldn't do that. No, no. Because <laughs> I think 
um, it's been put a lot of different ways by strategic thinkers throughout history. I think um, Sun Tzu's approach to warfare was basically if you've made it to the battlefields, you've probably already lost. Wars are won before you get even get there because of the way that you approach your strategy is understanding what to take advantage of, um, how to avoid your enemy. If you get to the point where you're trying to figure out whether or not you're good at a situation, you probably haven't, or you've probably done something very, very wrong. Yeah, but I think he would say that like before approaching a situation, it's best to look at the board and see what the constraints are. Yeah, definitely. So like preemptively doing so. And I think it's it ad- adapts based on the changing situation. Like, like we've talked about before, our strategies and our goals should be constantly shifting to, um, or maybe not the goals, but um, strategy should be shifting to whatever the needs of the situation are. But taking that long view or that wide view of your situation and not expecting war to be won in battles because that's what you train your men for. You're not supposed to be restricted in any way to conduct warfare, but we have a lot of rules in place or constraints in place, um, social norms of what we expect from um, war and combat that we kind of forget a lot of those um, are just self-imposed. Yeah, and I think that I mean, you can even take it out of the war and combat arena and really just it's like any problem or challenge that we're facing in the day-to-day or that we're facing like long-term. It's not necessarily about like getting in the trenches of whatever the problem is, but sometimes it's about taking a step back and surveying the field um, of that taking that wide angle lens of whatever that challenge is yeah sounds good to me sounds good to me so that my friends it's kind of a heavy ending to another strategize podcast (laughs) i'm marcus and i'm alec and that's it baby (laughs) Woo! feel so constrained